birthday. And I don't know if growing up you would kind of make a list and you were like, these are things that I would really love. Like I, you know, and yet there's those things that we desperately want. There's those things that we love. There's those things that we appreciate. And, and, and at the same time, I believe that there's some gifts where you just have to like graciously smile and be like, thanks. Grandma, uh, I don't really, you know, and in your mind, you're like, I don't really know what to do with this. It's not going to go anywhere. I'm never going to use it. But you still want to look grateful. You still want to appear <laughs> thankful. And so there's the gifts that we want, and there's also just the gifts that we don't want. And I think the question often at times is, is what do we do with those? And the reason why I say that is because I think spiritually, there's gifts that we want. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want Jesus' love, his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness? Those are the gifts that we desire. But oftentimes, I think Jesus also gives us a gift. And we're like, okay, thanks. I don't really know what to do with this. And, and, and I'm going to talk about the gift of doubt this morning. And that's actually going to be the title of this message for those taking notes. And I just, I would encourage you to embrace that gift rather than discard it. I think oftentimes there's this tendency of, of I don't know what to do with this, so I'd rather, I'd rather avoid it. I'd rather, I'd rather kind of suppress it. And I think oftentimes the church, big C, I think the mistake that we can make is I think we can often shame those in the midst of their doubt. I think often at times it's easy to perceive doubt as weakness. It's easy to perceive doubt as, as well, don't question Jesus because then you don't really love him if you don't agree or, or all these things. But ultimately, it is something that doubt can make us stronger. Doubt can be an opportunity to better ourselves. It can be an opportunity to run into the arms of Jesus versus running away from him. My brother, Caleb, who's a pastor in the Bay Area, he preached on doubt a few weeks ago. And one of the things that I love that he said is he said, doubt is not a sign of weakness. It is an opportunity for strength. And one of the things that he also talked about was the personalization of your faith in the midst of doubt. That, that when, you're, when you're wrestling and you're questioning before Jesus, it, it becomes your own. It becomes your own story. It becomes your own hardships. It doesn't become your parents. It doesn't become a sibling. It doesn't become a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It becomes your relationship with Jesus. And it personalizes it in the midst of this doubt. Abraham Musto, who's a middle school pastor in San Diego, he said, questioning and doubt are healthy components to our faith. Realistically, doubt is what draws us out of the complacency of our faith into the unknown where God shapes us most. It is in these, in these questions about our faith we find who God really is. Think of it this way. Your faith is a castle which is safe and protected. But what if this castle being so safe and protective is actually keeping God distant? Doubt tears down the walls and forces you to journey into the unknown. And I would just say often, you know, I mean, the heart would be as well that we would go to the source, right? That, that we, we want to know what Jesus says when it comes to doubt and these topics. And we want to press into what does the word have to say about it. And I think, honestly, there's a common theme in scripture of doubting the father. And I think it's one of the most consistent themes actually in the word. And I think oftentimes we can almost read the Bible and just become intimidated by what we would almost see as just these spiritual all-stars or these, these miracles that were performed in the name of Jesus. And I think oftentimes we read that and we think, I could never do that. But you look from the beginning of time in the Word, there's this common theme of man wrestling with God. 
And, and I mean, it, it stems back from the two, the very first people created, Adam and Eve. And you see God say, I have all of this goodness for you. Just stay away from one tree. And yet, yet human flesh is like, well, I want that tree. I, I only want it because you said not, not to have it. So that makes me want it. But ultimately, God is trying to protect them, and they question the motive of the father. They're like, well, is he, is he keeping something from me? Is he, like, not wanting me to enjoy? Is he not wanting me to have fun? And, and that's where, you know, the, the enemy comes in and says, it's, you know, he, he lies. And so they, they feel tempted, and they end up taking from the fruit. Abraham and Sarah were people in the beginning of the Bible that were promised a child in their old age. And Sarah laughed at the face of God. And yet their child was named Isaac, meaning laughter. And, and, we, and we, see, we see Moses who, you know, ultimately, you know, parts the Red Sea, brings in these plagues, frees the people, miracle after miracle. And yet there's a moment where a bush is burning and God is calling him to go back. And he ultimately looks at his inadequacies. He's like, God, but I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't send someone else. David, a man after God's own heart. What a neat descriptive. You read the Psalms and it is an emotional roller coaster of being honest before God. Saying one moment like, hey, life is amazing. I'm going to praise you. The next moment, I'm about to die and I'm freaking out. And, but it was this honesty, this transparency. The Israelites, God's chosen people, would constantly wander away. And then you go to the New Testament. And you look at the disciples who walked with Jesus, saw miracle after miracle, and yet constantly doubted. Like people would leave and they're like, okay, Jesus, like what was actually the point of that? I have no idea what you just did. And Jesus would have to patiently love them through. One of the apostles was named Doubting Thomas. That was what he was known for. One of the people that followed Jesus closer than anyone. And even Jesus himself has a moment where he wrestles with God. And we'll talk about that later. And so I just want to say, yet, despite of that, God used every single one of them to advance the kingdom of God. And so don't for a second feel as if doubt disqualifies you. It means you're simply human. And you have to allow yourself the grace to wrestle. And I think in order to have a healthy perspective, you have to deal with the raw emotion right in front of your face. And you can't suppress it, and you can't get ensnared in it, because both will cripple you. I think Jesus' response often at times isn't, you know, you can't scare away or frustrate God with doubt or question. I think the response is, I think he's concerned about what your response is afterwards. And I think oftentimes, again, when there's this pressure that I can't question, I can't wrestle, because then I feel shamed or because then I feel weak. And so there is that inclination to just kind of push it to the side and address it. And, and, and that's not healthy. But at the same time, to have doubt be what actually cripples and ensnares our faith because we can't move on from doubt, that is also unhealthy. And so there's this healthy way to honestly embrace where you're at, inviting God into the story. And, and, he's, and he's not, again, he's not concerned that you're doubting. He's so fixated on what your response is afterwards because doubt will either cause you to drive closer into the arms of Jesus or farther away from the arms of Jesus. And so his response is like, doubt, but pursue me. Like, embrace me, like, run towards me. There is not shame and doubt, but he's asking that you don't recluse, that you don't run away. John Mark Comer, who's the pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, he said this on prayer. He said, in fact, God seems to love that kind of raw, uncut prayer. 
skirting the line between blasphemy and desperate faith. He's not nearly as scared of honesty as we are. Prayer is what Moses did with God in the tent, what Jesus did with the Father in Gethsemane. It's brutally honest, naked, and vulnerable. It's when your deepest desires and fears and hopes and dreams leak out of your mouth with no inhibition. It's when you talk about God with the edit button in the off position and you feel so safe and heard and loved. It's the kind of relational exchange you can't get enough of. And I just would want to encourage us this morning to talk to God with the PC, the political correctness button off. Like, like you're not trying to win Miss America. You're not trying to answer all these questions, right? It's about how your faith and walk is with Jesus. Because ultimately, when, when you feel this pressure to, well, I can't actually express my real emotion in front of God, or I can't actually let him know I'm frustrated, I can't actually let him know I'm questioning, you're not deceiving God. Because he already knows all of your thoughts, all of your emotions, all of your actions, all of your ways. You're not deceiving God. You're only deceiving yourself. And so I think there's this point of God saying, no, 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 like, like, like take the edit button off. Like, like, take the political correctness thing away. I'm not worried about that. How is your heart? And, and those are the moments where then we're able to healthily deal with the emotion in front of us. And that's also where we invite God into the story, which is constantly what he is after most. Joshua 6, 1 through 5, if you guys have your Bibles, open them to that. It'll also be on the screen above. But it says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and its, all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you must march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one last, one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the city. And if you dive further into that scripture, that's exactly what happened. Stephen Furtick, who's the lead pastor of Elevation Church in North Carolina, he had this to say, and I love it. He said, progress is motivating. And sometimes we need some motivation to know that what we are doing is working. Because if we don't know it's working, we don't want to work at it. And God says, maybe I don't want you to know that it's working. Because there's a deeper work I want to do in you. Maybe the reason I let you walk around the walls and see no result is because I want you to be less focused on the outcome and more focused on the obedience. Now imagine for a second, again, it said the strongest warriors, you are going to take hold of this city. I mean, probably the excitement there that would have, but also the tangible obstacle of man, that is a massive wall that you are trying to tactically figure out how to get around. And God is saying, no, no, I just want you to walk around a wall. Just, 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 just walk around just for six days. And then on the seventh, it's just going to fall down. Again, imagine being a warrior walking around day one. And, 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 and you basically have to leave your spear at home. There's no point in fighting. And, and it's not like there was a tangible progression. It wasn't like day one. It's like, oh, there's a little bit of a chip off the wall. That's kind of fun. That's encouraging. It's not like day two, there's a little bit of a noticeable difference. It's not like day three, you can, ah, like we're actually gaining momentum. And day four and five, and it's like by day six, the thing's barely hanging on. So then by day seven, you're just confidently marching and playing music. No, no, for six days, nothing happened. 
It was this idea that, I mean, I mean, Albert Einstein says insanity is doing something over and over again, expecting the same result. Imagine how insane you feel walking around a wall. You're like, I, I, I hope something changes. But then you get done, and, and the next day happens, and you have to do the same thing over again. And, and I would just say, I feel like sometimes walking with Jesus feels like that. Sometimes doubt and, and frustration and questioning occurs because spiritually you feel like you're just walking around a wall, but you're not seeing any change. You're not seeing any progress, and so you feel discouraged. And, and, and in this moment, again, Jesus is so much more fixated and concerned with the heart. He's focused on the obedience, but he will show up. Just because you're discouraged day four does not mean that day seven isn't coming. It doesn't mean that God isn't still faithful to do the things that he said because he told them, you will take hold of the city. Day seven will come and you will charge into the town. So just because you were discouraged by day four or five because you couldn't see the progress doesn't, doesn't mean that God wasn't still there moving and working. I often compare life to just a massive puzzle. <laughs> And uh, if you guys know the, like, 500 or 1,000, like, this huge puzzle piece thing, I, my grandparents had them all over the house. And, you know, strategically, you start with the corners and you kind of work your way into the middle. <laughs> but ultimately, I think walking with Jesus can feel like that. It can feel like Jesus, Jesus sees the box. Jesus sees the masterpiece. Jesus sees the full story and what your life is. And ultimately, we steward life a puzzle piece at a time. Ultimately, God hands you something and he asks you to be faithful. He asks you to be obedient. He asks you to steward it. But that thing in and of itself, on its own, often makes no sense. Okay, Jesus, you handed me a gray, weird, random square. <laughs> and yet, on its own, can look rather ugly. Yet, when all of the pieces line up together, it creates something very beautiful indeed. And I think spiritually, Jesus is asking, do you trust me enough a puzzle piece at a time? And, and, and ultimately, there will be doubt. Ultimately, there will be moments where we're confused. He understands that. But if we're being open and honest before the Lord, we want to steward life well, a puzzle piece at a time. Second Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to, be a, anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And I think oftentimes we get frustrated and confused when God doesn't work the way we want him to. But ultimately, we only see something partially finished while crit criticizing a God who sees the full masterpiece. And, and that can be flawed thinking. And, and to be honest, I don't want to serve a God that is small enough for me to wrap my head around. Because that means that he would be a pretty tiny, insignificant God. That's like us trying to fit God into our story when we're called to fit into God's story. That it's not God shaping, I want to shape my God around my ideas, my thoughts, my values, my beliefs, because then it just becomes something that never disagrees with you. And yet Timothy Keller says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And so there are going to be moments in life where practically you and God don't see eye to eye. God, what are you doing? This makes no sense. God, why did this happen in my family? God, why did this happen at school? Why did this happen in my sports? And we don't get it. But we have to submit and trust the God that sees the full picture when we see such a blurred perspective. 
He sees and knows way more than us. And I just want to encourage us too. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he himself did not walk out. Do you guys remember when I, when I said uh, even Jesus doubted? I'd, I'd love to talk about that. Matthew 26, 36-39. It's this moment where Jesus is about to be crucified. He knows what's coming. The writing is on the wall. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to die for our sins. And there's this moment where, where Jesus goes to the garden three times. He comes, he leaves, he comes back, he leaves, he comes the third time because something was still stirring in his heart and in his soul and it was just angst and he was not at peace. And so it says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And there's this moment where you see Jesus just so overwhelmed. So filled with despair. And Jesus was human. He was flesh. And he was perfect. He remained without sin. But Jesus felt these raw emotions. I mean, imagine going to the cross and bearing the weight of humanity's sin and shame and death. I would be terrified. And and in this moment where Jesus probably needs an answer more than anyone ever has in, in human history. And he presents himself before God. And you know the response? Silence. I mean, imagine Jesus in this moment just raw and transparent before God saying, I need you to speak. Now is the time to show up and there's nothing. And so in our life, there's these moments that we feel like that. We're like, Jesus, where are you? Like I'm hurting, I'm praying, and I feel nothing. It feels like a one-way voicemail. It feels like I'm just, just texting you constantly, but there's no reply. And yet I would say in those moments, Jesus isn't apathetic towards the moments where we feel no response. He sympathizes with us more than we could ever possibly imagine. Like Jesus gets it because he walked it out. When it was so tough, when it was so overwhelming, when Jesus had doubts, he heard nothing and knew his response needed to be obedience. And a little bit of a rabbit trail, I'll just say this. Silence often is an answer. It's not the answer we want, ever. But when there was silence in the garden, Jesus knew that he had to do what he had to do. And he did faithfully. And I'll just say this, just because there was silence in the garden doesn't mean that the Father wasn't with him on the cross. The Father wasn't absent. He was there. He was faithful. And so there's these moments in life where we pour out our very soul and we feel and hear nothing. And yet that doesn't mean that God isn't there. It simply means that he is up to something that we could not possibly understand. And ultimately, the question that I have for us this morning is, do you trust the heart and character of Jesus? Is that source reliable for your life and for your faith and for your journey with Jesus? Do you trust and believe that he is who he says he is? That he's good, that he's faithful, that he protects. Because ultimately, the way you answer this question will shape everything when it comes to your relationship with the Father. Because if you do trust him, and you know his character, and I mean, as seasons come and go, our circumstances constantly change, but our Jesus never changes. 
And do we believe that he is who he says he is and that he's enough in the moments of life, don't, in the moments of life that don't make sense? Or if we don't, then that will ultimately dictate and shape the way that our relationship with Jesus works. That in 1 John 16 and 18, it says, We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. In the moments of life that don't make sense. Because trusting Jesus isn't just when it's perfect. It's not when it's just easy. It's not when it's just life is fun. It's trusting Jesus in the moments in life that make no sense. But knowing that we have a perfect love in our Father, and there's no safer and better place to put that love. You guys are going to have to bear with me just for one second because this is where my animal nerd side will come out. And I want to compare and contrast two types of birds. <laughs> and don't, don't, don't judge when you hear the names. There, has a, there is a point. There is a relevancy, I promise. But the first bird I want to talk about is called the barnacle goose. <laughs> it, uh, this is basically a BB, or BBC documentary, so you know, stay put. But ultimately, the barnacle goose lives off the coast of Greenland. And the nests are about 400 feet in the air. And at this moment, it is safe from predators, so they're fine. But there's also no food source there. And so ultimately, the parents have to like go to the bottom, and they ask their baby goose is geese uh, to come with them. But here's the thing: it's they're three days old when this happens. At three days old, a baby barnacle goose can barely walk, let alone it cannot fly. And so there's this moment where, where, where the parents literally leave the nest and go to the bottom because they're trying to find food. And in this moment, if they stay, they die. And they are forced off of a 400-foot cliff, hoping that they make it when they can't even fly. It, 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 sadly, it's about a 50-50% success rate. About half will actually die on impact. And yet, if, if it lives, then it's dazed and confused, and it has, to, it has to find its parents, because if it doesn't find the parents, then there's so many predators at the bottom of the cliff that ultimately it will not live on its own. And the parents have to pick and find and, and, you know, and gather as many surviving as they can, and then they're moving onwards, because they're getting out of there. And it has to fend for itself, and, and, it, and it has a 50-50 chance of making it. The, the other bird that I want to look at is I want to look at the emperor penguin. Very, very different, very contrasting. They live in Antarctica, and in the, in the wintertime, it's the harshest conditions uh, on the planet. It's 40 degrees below zero, and so they travel 80 kilometers to the mating ground, and when they get to the mating ground, the mother leaves for 65 days. And in this 65-day period, the father has to huddle over the egg, waddling it in between its two, two, two feet to keep it warm. Because if the egg lands on the ice for even a brief time, it will freeze and the baby will die. So for 65 days, this father doesn't move, doesn't eat, doesn't budge, doesn't do anything, but it remains there. And then there's a moment where the baby actually hatches and the baby's born, but the mom is still out gathering food because it's a long journey. And so the father huddled over it, still has to keep it warm, still have, has to keep it safe. And there's a secretion in its stomach that's similar to milk. And, and it'll actually feed the baby when it hasn't had anything itself for 65 days. 
And then ultimately the mother comes back. Now, why on earth, Daniel, would you talk about two, just a goose and and a penguin? (laughs) But I would say, in our relationship with Jesus, oftentimes we identify with the first far more than the second. Often at times in our relationship with Jesus, we feel... Like, where are you? We feel like you left to the other side. We feel like I have to fend for myself. We feel like there's a 50-50% chance you make it, but hopefully you do, and I'll be there if you are. And ultimately, scared, intimidated, fearful, doubting, questioning, we feel like we're forced off the ledge, and we don't know if we're going to make it or not. We don't know if like our heart could actually take it. We don't know if we can break again, hurt again, and we don't know if we have it in us. And oftentimes we're like, God, where are you? But I just want to encourage us. It's actually the second. And, and, and not to say Jesus is an emperor penguin, because that's bad theology, but <laughs> ultimately that is the heart. That, that in life's harshest conditions, in the storms, in the moments where we could not survive on our own for even seconds, he does not move. He is there over us. He's watching, he's protecting, and he's keeping us alive. That, that in the harsh conditions that Jesus is constantly at work in our lives, whether we see it or not, and doubt comes in because there's times where we don't see what he's up to. But that doesn't mean that he's not up to something. And and, and while we feel alone, we are truly never alone. That this protective Father in us, or in Him, will come over us, will cover us, will protect us. And when we can't handle life, He he takes care of us every step of the way. If the worship team wants to come back, I'm just going to close with just one last verse. But in 1 John 2... 24 through 25, it says, You must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life that He promised. And I just want to encourage us, just with that word, remain. You know, I think there's times where where life can be good and there's times where life can be really hard. That there are these seasons, again, Jesus never promised it would be easy. He only promised that it'd be worth it. He only promised that he'd be worth it, and then he's faithful. And then he's going to take care of us every step of the way. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moments in life where it's challenging. And that doesn't mean there aren't moments in life that we doubt and that we question. And I just want, again, this morning, for you guys to have the freedom to wrestle. The freedom to question. The freedom to ask God, I don't get it. I don't see the full picture. To doubt without departing. Stay. Remain. Again, your doubt, your questions, and your frustrations will do one of two things. It will either drive you so close into the arms of Jesus where there is no place safer, there's no place better, there's no place more protected, or you will run the opposite direction. In order to, to embrace doubt and questioning with a healthy perspective, again, there's two. You can't do one of two things. You can't suppress it. You can't pretend it doesn't exist because it is there. You have to be honest with where you're at in the story. But ultimately, you can't also get ensnared by it. You can't let a few questions dictate your relationship with Jesus because if I can't understand it, then I don't want to believe. Well, again, if I had a God small enough for me to wrap my head around completely, he wouldn't be that much of a powerful God, now would he? So ultimately, the heart that I would have for us is, again, doubt without departing. Remain. 
embrace. Because again, there's no place safer, there's no place better than the arms of Jesus. And he's big enough to handle your doubt. He's big enough to handle your mess. There is not a mess big enough in your life to scare away God. But he wants you to approach him with the PC button off. He wants you to approach him honestly, the button in the off position. How are How is your heart really doing? And knowing that when we, when we expose ourselves in this just vulnerable state of God, this is who I am, this is, what, this is my story. He will embrace us, he will love us, he will protect us, and he will surround us like never before. Let's bow our heads and pray. As it's Father's Day and, I, and, and we think about your love, Jesus, we thank you that you're faithful. Jesus, we thank you that you're there. And Jesus, we thank you that you actually embrace our questioning. You actually embrace who we are. That that doubt is not weakness. It's an opportunity for strength. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity because when you wrestle and you're on the other side of your pain, you become stronger. That scars are simply a reminder that the enemy did not win. That you would not let him win. So Jesus, we thank you for the grace that covers us. The grace to wrestle. the, The grace to be okay with not knowing what's going on. But ultimately, do we trust the heart and the character? Do we trust that you are who you say you are? And if we do, which would be my hope and prayer, that we would embrace you fully for what you are. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you.